business is hard. And for a lot of business owners, they stay stuck in the trenches of fighting the day-to-day battles of running their business that they go, oh, you know, like I just got to get this business going. And then, you know, someday I'll start building wealth. You know, like I just got to get through this. And it's a very interesting thing I've noticed is like a lot of the mentality that business owners take towards wealth creation is it's something you do after you've got a really good business. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 936. Today, we're going to be talking about why most business owners suck at building wealth. And a surprising guest on this topic, actually, is uh, Charlie Vailer. Welcome to the call. Excited to be here, James. What an important topic for business owners. Of course, it is important. And um, it was surprising to me because I've known you as a podcast aficionado. In fact, even before that, I think I first started talking to you about building out a membership for people who like to be organized and structured and build systems. You're a very orderly guy. You've used to run an agency. You love the podcasting channel, the medium, the equipment. I'm, I'm, I always think, okay, what surfboard will I have in the background for my call with Charlie? Like, is the lighting okay? And one of the reasons this podcast sounds good is because you gave me lots of guidance on that. So I'm super appreciative of that. And it seems like you've got this... Um, passion or this interest now in sharing your message to Australian business owners about wealth creation. And I would love to know the genesis of that. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think I'm a man of uh, hidden talents. Uh, There's some things that uh, we talk about more publicly or more privately. So of course, I've been very, very, I'll say obsessed with business for a very, very long time. And I think I actually first found you on your podcast. Like This must be like a very long time ago now. So podcasting has always been very important to me. It has been. But more recently, I had this experience, and I wonder if many business owners go through the same thing, where it's like me and my partner, Bianca, we actually like were preparing to have a kid. And I was feeling like this weight, a huge amount of weight of financial responsibility. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't keep playing around at this. Like I was doing well in business, but I almost want to say like a little bit reckless. Actually, I'll say very reckless where it's like, you know, I would be making money, but how I spend it and what I did with it was kind of a bit meh. I did have a few investments and things, but all in all, like wasn't at all financially responsible. And I was like, I really need to cross this because if something was to happen to me, what would happen for Bianca and Jack, my son? So I, this weight or this, I call it a weight because I really did feel like weight was on my shoulders here. So I went on this journey to go, well, I'm going to take what I'm doing now and I want to turn this into something where no matter what happens to me in business or whatever my business is doing, that my family is going to be okay. And have been doing that for quite a number of years now. And why I started speaking about this is because the more I started talking to other business owners, the more concerned I got. So I was becoming more financially independent and more financially stable. And then, you know, when you start to learn something, you start to recognize things in other people, James. I'm sure this happens to you in coaching all the time, right? You've gotten to a level in business, you see people that are perhaps not at that level, and then you're like, please don't go that way. If you go that way, like you're not going to like where it goes. Oh, well, I mean, that's one of the reasons people have a coach is they want someone who's been down that path. It's really interesting, the story about responsibility and having a son, Jack, because I remember when I was 23, and we found out we were going to have a baby whose name was Jack, as it turns out. Good taste. Good taste. At the time, I was earning $35,000 a year, and this is in 1995, and uh, my wife was earning $35,000 a year. And I thought, hang on, if it's just me, 
and then there's three of us. It's not the math doesn't work out. It's what drove me into a sales career, and because it was one of the only ways I could think of at the time. This is really pre-internet in Australia, at least, to make a lot of money quickly. But as I'm sure we'll discover in this episode, making the money part is actually not really where the wealth's created. And that's a huge misconception, I think, from most people, certainly from my experience. And as a coach now, I do see people who are coming at it wrong. And interestingly, a lot of people who are making a lot of money or talk about making a lot of money, or certainly the sales letter says they make a lot of money, they don't actually have a lot of wealth in the actual way that you might measure it. So that has been eye-opening for me, but I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because back when I was at Mercedes-Benz, it would be very common that someone would come and buy a Mercedes-Benz and then at some time later I'd see them in the newspaper, you know, went bankrupt or to fraud scheme or, you know, chronic gambler at Star City. Like it fascinated me. Firstly, that only half the cars on the road are even owned. Most of them are financed. And secondly, how a lot of the people you would think are rich are not at all, like not even close. You tip them upside down, you'd be lucky to get 10 cents fall out of their pocket or a dime for our overseas listeners. So yeah, I really, really resonate with that. What I'm impressed with actually, Charlie, is that you did well in business before having the pressure of having kids. Because for me, I don't think I would be where I'm at today unless I had kids early because that put a rocket under me. I had went from a place of a young man with no real liabilities or responsibilities to having basically the entire weight of the world on my shoulders. And because I kept having kids every few years, I never really got out from under that until I'm going to say in the last decade, you know, so that was a long tour of duty. <laughs> kids is war. It's a really common story though. Like I actually, I, should, I will say if someone had told me uh, having kids would light such a rocket under me, I probably would have earlier. <laughs> That's like, like, you know, when people say, oh, we're waiting till we're ready to have kids. Like you will never be ready to have kids probably. And, you know, I would say now I'm ready to have kids. I've got a three-year-old and it is the absolute best experience of all. I'm now financially and time ready to have kids, but I'm also 51 years old. So, you know, I wouldn't recommend most people wait that long, especially females, because the older you get, the harder it is and the riskier it is to have kids. So I'd have no regrets at all. I just want to put that out there. I, I did what I needed to do. It wasn't really planned in the beginning, but it set me up for all the lessons and the growth and the opportunities to get to where I'm at now. And I'm so thrilled to have you on the show because I think you sharing your passion for it at a different stage in life to me in some ways, but also in a similar stage. We've got some similarities in our business interests. We've got some similarities in the age of our current children, but also we're in different generations to some extent. And I think You've got a lot of energy and passion to bring this message to the market. So it's exciting. It is. It's very exciting. I'll tell you now though, James, one of the things I find really fascinating about this topic, like business owners as a collective, right? Uh, in general, I would think of as pretty smart people. They're intelligent people. And then also like they're very much going into business and I'll say not all, but majority would with an intent of creating like a financial independence. Like making money is a big part why we go on this journey as business owners. I know for me, it was huge. But on the other side of that, this is what makes it even more fascinating that so many business owners suck at it. 
right? So many business owners actually end up like worse off than that if they had pursued just normal employment. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you go on a journey only to end up better off not doing it, kind of seems a bit counterproductive. So you've got to align your goals. And I, I agree. I, I mean, I wanted to go and I ended up with my own business because a lot of my clients and the very successful ones, the actual successful ones, who incidentally were less flashy than the ones who were shady in most cases. And they mentored me to this sort of idea that ownership and control and having your own business is really a path to wealth. And I was capped in my income in a job, albeit a good cap, it was a high cap, but it, there was uh, tough financial times coming. At the time I left my job, I left my job in 2008, right when there was a global financial crisis unfolding. And it was not the first time I've seen that because I already saw this happen in the late 80s, early 90s. So I saw this cycle repeat and then it seems like it could repeat again uh, as it tends to do if you look at history. I realized that it gives me a lot of control, but I also, in terms of responsibility, I had to make a promise to myself. And that was that I commit to staying responsible for my own destiny, that I will keep innovating. I'm going to have to keep creating. I'm going to have to keep on my toes. You can't fall asleep at the wheel if you are driving the vehicle. If you're in someone else's and you get in and you get out or whatever, great. So for some people, I think you're right. Certainly my conversation with Gino Wickman, he arrived at the point that not everyone is destined to be an entrepreneur. Only a percentage of the population is suited to having the level of risk-taking and responsibility and creativity and structure that is required to run a business, kind of evidenced by the fact that the vast majority of businesses don't survive after three to five years. Like the number of businesses that succeed is very small, a small percentage. So the ones who go past the three to five year phase and are successful, you've ticked the first box. You actually can get independent and you can get control and you can create something for yourself. But where I'm seeing people get stuck as a coach is they've got the front end machine going, but the money's not saved. I know a guy who does about $12 million a year. And I said to him, what do you do with all that money? And he, he said, well, firstly, like, probably we, we've got costs. He said, I'll probably net maybe three out of that, three or four. And I said, great, well, where does all that go? He goes, living. This all goes on living. <laughs> just, Must be some nice living. Well, yes, travel around the world, food experiences and stuff. And that's one way to do it. So this is very important. I think you have to decide what's important to you because, I mean, there, there was in this community here recently, there, tragically, there was a lady who passed away giving childbirth and she's, I think, 40, something, 41. It could be you tomorrow. We could just, your life could turn to dust. So there is an element to living while you're alive and not being a scrooge. And so to tell you the other side of a story, I had a client who was probably in his 60s. He was worth more than $100 million. And he taught me some really valuable lessons, but he was wearing secondhand clothes that he buys from like a secondhand clothing store, like a charity store. It had stains on it. And he was always looking for a secondhand Mercedes-Benz, a cheap one, like fifty to $60,000. When he could have had, he could have bought the dealership. I mean, <laughs> I said, why don't you buy something new or get something nice? And he goes, I just, I can't. I'm mentally blocked by that. I can't. It just feels excessive because I had, life was so difficult for me on the way through. So the difficulty created his success, but he's never been able to elasticize 
to be able to live. So I know people who live and they've got nothing to spare. I know people who don't live and they've got hundreds of millions of dollars. I think there's probably somewhere in the middle ground for most people listening to this podcast. And certainly my own philosophy and opinion, I'm absolutely not an advisor. I like to build wealth, but I also like to enjoy my life as if it won't go forever. So, you know, hence things like surfing and travel and experiences are important to me. But I also would like to be able to provide for my child, at least until she's an adult, if something happened to me. So there you go. That's, that's my take on it. Completely. And I'm, I'm with you on that one. My opinion, again, I love how we, we say that because we're trying to make sure we don't give direct financial advice, James. I don't think anyone would mistake us as financial advisors here, but let's just hope that uh, message is clear. You absolutely have to do both. I think it's imperative. And this is where I think probably like one of the big reasons I found when I really went deep and studied this on why so many fail as business owners to build wealth is wiring and conditioning. Like there are people out there that as soon as they make some money, the first thing they go and do is like blow it on a new car or a holiday. Like they spend all their money on looking rich instead of being rich. That's really, really common, surprisingly common. And even if their income grows further, all they do is take it to a new level of status. And um, I think that's a real shame because often those are the people that end up in the grind in their later years going, why didn't I start earlier? Why didn't I start earlier? Conversely, as business owners, like you mentioned, this gentleman here is the example. He sounds like he's done very well for himself, but I wonder how many opportunities in life he passed up on because like, he'd taken that so far that he didn't go to that event or meet those people. Like, Status has value in different ways in giving you access to business opportunities. Like, and I'll give a really good example here. I used to live in uh, Brighton in Victoria. And for anyone that knows of Brighton in Victoria, even as I say that, they probably think, ooh, rich snob. <laughs> <laughs> I used to live in Brighton, Victoria, just coincidentally. It's a, it's a beautiful suburb. That was my second, second place. We lived in Frankston before that. Absolutely. It's like, there you go. There's different places, but it's like different places have these stigmas. And it's funny that as you say those things, they present different opportunities. And the people I met when I lived in Brighton, like I did some really good business deals when I was in Brighton. But if this person has been such a Scrooge McDuck, where they've never like spent their money to associate with that level of people, like what opportunities have they missed? And then the other side of it is, is like some people take being frugal to this level where it almost makes them bitter. Mm. They're constantly feeling like they can't do things and they've got to save. And I think that's a real shame as well and has like ramifications, like who wants to live that life? So like wiring and conditioning is massive. Who wants to be around that person? I remember we went to the movies once and a friend of a friend was scrounging through the bin for a coupon that was on a receipt to get a half-price movie ticket or whatever. And I'm like, wow, that's just, that's too far. <laughs> that's, that's not fun. I mean, there's a very different life between hovering your card over to the counter wondering if it's going to clear on that transaction versus not really even worrying too much about how much the bill is, that you know it's covered. There's something to be said for the peace of mind that can come from that. And yeah, I think what you're saying is true. There is wiring and conditioning that starts very young. I saw an example of it yesterday, actually. I was at the park and there was a couple of little kids playing and I heard one kid say to the other kid, oh yeah, yeah, my mum's a nurse, so we can't afford that. And I'm thinking, well, that's a, that's a bit of a shame. He's kind of already got this imprint, obviously from the parent, oh, well, I'm just a nurse and we can't afford it. He's like, okay, well, nurses are low paid we're poor, we can't have this, we can't have it. They, they start to develop this lack. 
And I think maybe is that where some of this entitlement comes from in society, where they just expect the government to give them benefits and the, to hand out because they've limited themselves because of what they've been programmed at a very early age. We say terrible things to kids unless we're aware of it, like money doesn't grow on trees, we can't afford that. I know I've talked about this topic with uh, Marissa Peer as well on a previous episode and also an early childhood development lady. If you've got kids, I think that's where it starts. But for me, I, I feel like I had to change the script in my life when I was about 18 or 19 is when I had to rewrite the software, change the program. And I started buying classic books, you know, all the books that probably everyone here's heard about or read, and maybe a few others, especially Australian business owners. Uh, I was reading stuff by Noel Whitaker, And then, of course, all the internationals have heard the Rich Dad Poor Dad. And then there's a Fitzgerald guy talking about property developments, etc. So there is information out there. But I suppose the step one is to question how is your wiring and conditioning? What do you believe is true? And why do you believe that true? And are you open to the suggestion that maybe there could be a different truth or a different way of looking at things that you could switch to? Because for me, that was the big change. It's a huge one. It's a massive one. And like, this is what I love about being a business owner as well, right? We don't have to live in this world of like limit. It's not like we have a set wage every month and the only way to increase what we're able to do with it is to like, you know, spend less. And you know, this keeping up with the Joneses, this one always cracks me up because I used to race sailing boats. And when I was uh, probably about 17, I used to sail with a guy called Jones. And uh, we, we did until I was about 23 when I had my first kid because I couldn't work seven days a week at the car dealership and sail. So it was one of those huge sacrifices. We came second in the world titles as well with my mate Gavin Jones. But every single year, we catch up at dinner. And so I get to benchmark off the Joneses and to see what they're up to in their life. You know, have they discovered Facebook yet you know, this year? Or what are they doing with their kids and their investments and work and stuff? And so it is fascinating. But I think one of the greatest skills of all is to not really care too much about what the Joneses are up to and to run your own race. And you can get in such a different race that it, you, know, you can't even compare at some point. And that's sort of where I ended up. I am in a different world to most of the traditional peers that I grew up with. It's just the way it is. I love that you've been able to do that, James. I wish I could say the same was true for me, but I found that I'm a very competitive person, right? Well, that's the point, competitive. This is so key. Well, I, the route I took here is like I accepted that I'm going to want to compete with the Joneses. I just got to be really careful who I make the Joneses. So if I make the Joneses people who are, you know, blow all their money on status, guess what I'm going to do? And I did. Like I spent like $150,000 on a car at one point only to realize no one cares what I drive. But the whole point was, is like one of the things that was really critical on this journey for me has been, well, I need to make sure my Joneses are people that have built significant wealth. I want to make sure I'm adopting the traits and habits that they take. So rather than competing on what car we got in this example, what if we were competing on what our net worth is? or our monthly cash flow from investments, or what if those were the discussions we were having? And as I delved into this whole wealth building world, it's like, it's really fascinating that that definitely had a big influence on me. The thing that's had the biggest influence on me is working out the cost of living and then figuring out how I can get paid more than that in passive income. That's the goal I'm competing with. That's my Jones, is the target that makes life uh, optional, you know, where you don't have to do things you don't want to do. 
And for a lot of business owners, that would be good. My, you know, my first example friend who has not saved anything but has an eight-figure business revenue cannot stop working. He's golden handcuffed to this big machine. He can't stop. If he were to turn it off, he's got nothing to sell. It's not a saleable asset. He has customer expectations for all the service that has been sold and would probably still need providing or refunding. And there's nothing, no nest eggs. So you've got to be careful, <laughs> like careful what you wish for. For me, this competitive thing, this is really fascinating. I was very competitive. I was super competitive even at preschool. I've got a memory of like second grade, first or second grade, where the teacher said, okay, let's talk about S words. And I called out son. And I, in my mind, I, I was thinking S-O-N, right? That was an advanced word for that age. And the teacher looks at the board and there's S-U-N up there. She goes, no, we've already got that. I remember being shattered that she didn't acknowledge how brilliant I was. Then in, in uh, my sales career, I was very competitive. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be number one. And I think this is, I don't know, it's probably part of being a man and testosterone and trying to come out to the world and show that you are a capable provider and you're the guy. You see my Rolex here, Charlie? I do. It looks very stylish. <laughs> Noting though that it's like obviously people on audio may think you have a Rolex on, James. <laughs> See, I've got a beautiful Rolex. At one point in my life, it, you know, when I became a general manager, I needed a Rolex to make sure people knew that I had this great piece of jewelry to remind them how much of a boss I am and, you know, how important I was. And I had expensive Mont Blanc pen and beautiful shoes, Lloyds or Lokes and great suits. Now, I don't wear any of that. I don't need to because I've stopped trying to need to impress other people because I've realized at this age, it's about me looking after myself. It's not about needing to be impressive in the eyes of others. So I don't make as much money as I could if I wanted to flex those things. But I don't want to be a walking chimpanzee in a suit with the bling on a stage somewhere looking like a douchebag. I just won't do it. I just want to surf and I want to help people in my coaching business and I want to be me. I want to be me in all mediums and I want to be the actual me. And so when it comes to the way that we're wired and conditioned to be competitive with everyone else, I think for me, it was good to benchmark off what's possible. I love the positive benchmark. If someone's doing something that I would like to do, like someone surfs better than I can and I'm inspired by them, not jealous, and it's very important differentiation, then that encourages me to develop myself to get a better version of my surfing self out there. But I'm not ever jealous of that other better surfer than I am. I'm just inspired that it's possible and I strive towards that. So I think somewhere in there I'm saying, if you're overly competitive, it could be a downfall because you might be focused on everyone else and not yourself. If you can use other people's examples as benchmarks, then that's healthy. So in some wealth creation clubs and groups, they'll often benchmark you with other customers or, or whatever, or show you what is possible. For example, they might say, these people are able to get reach a passive income level that exceeds their cost of living within three years, you know, or five years or whatever. Then you say, okay, that's something, a goal I would like for myself. I'm now going to compare my current me to the future me and narrow the gap. Does that make sense? Hugely so, but I want to ask you a question on this one. For myself, what's been really interesting is the more financially independent I've become, the more authentic I've actually been with myself and the things I like. I found I was way more interested in looking rich or status things like the Rolex in your example there 
then when I've started to actually have money, it's like I tend to, I don't know what it is. It's like I feel less pressure to show status. I don't know what it is. And this is really common. So I wonder in yourself, James, is this something where as you've been able to attain a level of success and wealth in your life, do you feel more comfortable, like just being you and your example there or that authenticity? That is literally what I was just saying. (laughs) That, That as you become more confident in your own skin and comfortable with yourself, you could care less what other people think. It's, it's actually not important anymore what people think. You know, and I bought a $200,000 car as well. It was partly to close a chapter on my old life because I've moved from one side of the desk to the other in that transaction. I went from the seller to the general manager to the business owner to the buyer. I got to experience what it was like. So I don't want to say that it's bad to have nice things or buy expensive things. I think the only reason that I'm able to not feel that it's super important anymore is because I've already experienced it. So there's that little caveat. I've had the nicest of everything. I've traveled around the world. I've done amazing experiences that you could only do with the power of an organization like Mercedes-Benz. I have owned luxury sports cars. I've lived in lovely houses. I've owned the great watch and the nice shoes. I've had it all. But after all of that, you realize that none of that stuff is that's not the end destination. For me, that was part of the journey to get through to now I'm just a surfer who wears T-shirts, right? And that's not a styled brand cultivated image. It's just who I am. <laughs> you know, I'm just me. And I seem like I feel like I'm the most normal person I know and then the rest of the world can do their own. They run their own race. The other thing, for example, is I work three days a week and I have four off. So I'm already counter cyclical to the rest of society. I'm zigging to their zag. It's like business fasting. And I still get enough done and I have a good enough output with those inputs. So that works for me. But the same can be said for finance and for all sorts of other things. Once you get it dialed, you can let go of a lot of the stress and the concern and the need. But certainly, if you're going about life right now needing to prove to everyone else how significant you are, just look inside yourself a little more and just give yourself less pressure. You can never be them. You can never be someone else. If you want all their success and results, you have to also take all the bad stuff that has happened to them. So you can't have part of the package. And people, especially with social media, which I'm cautious not to spend too much time on, it's all curated. It's all glossy airbrushed. And even people use filters. Like, Don't take that all as verbatim. Because when you look under the hood, it's shocking what's really going on. It's shocking. And I totally agree with you, Charlie. A a big part of how I got the results I got was through using status and going to events and having nice things. And, you know, it took money. I had to spend some money to go on those flights and to have accommodations. You're going to use some of your powder when you go out to war. That's just the way it is. But yeah, I'm at a good place now. I know there's a whole bunch of people listening to this or watching it thinking, well, it's great for you. But I did crawl over broken glass. I did eat beans. I had the tough phase. You will have an inevitable tough phase. And for most people, from what I've learned in wealth creation, there's the capital creation part and then there's the putting to capital to work part. It's not fun listening to someone who's got that part sorted if you haven't created the capital part. And I know the average deposit required to buy a house in Australia at the moment is about $120,000, right? It's pretty hard for people starting out. I do think having a business is a fast track to wealth creation if you get it right. But I do encourage you to 
kit could help to turn that into something useful. So one thing that I've always found a good peace of mind is to take money out of my business and to put it somewhere else. And a lot of that comes from the incident that happened to me as a kid, you know, when my parents got kind of wrecked by the recession and we had a massive pullback. So I've seen this at least twice in my life and I think we're about to see it again. Maybe the pandemic was the third. I'm not sure if that counts, but I've seen what can happen and you need to be all weather ready. Yeah, see, that's a huge one as well. Funny enough, James, this is another thing that's common in our story. Growing up, that's what happened to my parents. <laughs> well, we're like brothers, aren't we? Like- yeah, but it's huge. Business owners put a lot of risk in their business. And then if something was to happen, in the case of my father, he had a workplace accident and he was a carpenter. So it's like after that injury, he wasn't able to go back to work and that caused some financial stress in the home. But it's like, I think what got wired into me is like, oh, it's risky having all your wealth in your business. Well, I got the other lesson why my father was employed and his role was terminated when the company got liquidated. And then they were stuck with very high interest rates on their primary home. I think the interest was in the 20 something percent range. They'd refinance some of it to improve some of the house. And They got out of it with a little bit, but it was pretty close. You know, the car was on finance, the house was on finance, and they were getting paid, he was getting paid by one income source and it stopped. So even within my own business, I like to diversify income streams. You want to get paid by lots of people. To do that, you create value for lots of people. Different geographic regions, different price points, different product lines can help you. In fact, in the early part of my business, I went a bit too broad. I had like 11 different income streams. So I was overprotecting myself, but limiting the growth I could have by being focused on a few. Since I've brought my business back to more focused ball, it's a lot more powerful. And so there's a lesson in, in that too. Hugely so. I'll throw another one in here to like another reason why I think business owners probably struggle a little bit with wealth creation. And I'm going to say that it's like business is hard. And for a lot of business owners, they stay stuck in the trenches of fighting the day-to-day battles of running their business that they go, oh, you know, like I just got to get this business going. And then, you know, someday I'll start building wealth. You know, like I just got to get through this. And it's a very interesting thing I've noticed is like a lot of the mentality that business owners take towards wealth creation is it's something you do after you've got a really good business. It's not something you do at the same time or in tandem. And uh, like how I've been able to do really well, and it sounds like you as well, James, is like I've done it in tandem. Like I've absolutely built wealth and my business at the same time where I just don't like that risk again of just like having all my eggs in one business. Well, a lot of business owners who might be at that sort of hand-to-mouth phase where they're just running aground all the time, they probably don't feel like they have any extra to put into wealth creation. Like They would feel like they're just in survival mode. I'm wondering what you would suggest to someone in that situation. Yeah, Funnily enough, it's like good mentors and peers. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I'm <laughs> glad you said it. Like get help. Like there's no reason for your business to be scraping off the bottom if you have a really good product, if you care about your customers, if you can get them results, if you can share those results with others, even through some humble marketing campaigns, if you can build an email database, if you can make offers to the email database, if you continue to look after people for a long time, then they're some of the fundamentals. They're like first principles. If you're doing it in a market that's not dead and you build your experience and you learn and study and surround yourself with other people, maybe that's a whole other topic, then you're going to get off the bottom line. And then it's simply a case of, well, you know, what's your strategy? Some people I know, they just tip absolutely everything into scaling, scaling, scaling because they want the big payday. 
I've always liked to say, well, great, I have a great cash flow business. I'm going to bring some of that cash flow out and I'm going to put it somewhere else because no matter, you know, if I just want to turn the business off one day, I've still got the somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I'm thinking here as well, James, is like we've known each other for quite a while now. And I think back to like in my earlier stages, many, many years ago, just little things you used to say, like, you know, oh, this guy's making X amount of months or doing this much revenue. And I think when you continually hear those things, it starts to cement what's possible, where it's like, if you're the only business owner in your network per se, and everyone's kind of doing average, you don't hear those things. And just hearing those things and knowing that that exists, I think makes a massive difference. But then also being able to get advice from people that have done it, really like it shapes you very, very differently again here. So I think network and peers is such a massive one. And it's like, if you're surrounding yourself with the business owners that are only continually focused on growth, I know what the likelihood of what you become <laughs> is. <laughs> but if you're surrounding yourself with the business owners who are also thinking about wealth or doing these things in other ways, well, again, I know what you'll become here. Like this network effect is just such a massive thing. Yeah, this is really interesting. As a coach, speaking to lots of business owners on a regular basis, firstly, I'm super encouraged because the people who I'm coaching at a higher level are doing great things. They're going so well. And I'm encouraged that there's a tremendous amount of possibility out there. Some of these people make a lot of money. Some of them just love what they do and they do it for free, I suspect. So there's a lot of positivity in that region. It's so true about people becoming like the people they hang out. I know it's an old saying, but one of my friends, he's sort of in a sort of a techie world of these sort of edgy startup type things, incubators and stuff. This guy comes up with a new business idea like every week. <laughs> it's like because he just can't be in that environment and not keep throwing off ideas. So for me, I'm positive about business because I've just got this great hybrid vigor of new ideas flowing across my Zoom screen on a weekly basis. And I see, you know, because I'm more of a long-term builder, I bring that centered balance to the picture. But I can take some of the principles that are working well and cross-pollinate them between the people who are going well. And, and that's something I love. And I think you can take the same approach with uh, wealth creation. You could survey some of your friends, get a little bit deeper about what they are actually doing with their money. Like, remember I said to you before, I asked my friend, what do you do with all the money? I'm genuinely curious because he would have access to very clever people. And I was just curious if he's deployed some of that intel. And there's no coincidence that the rich groups of people sort of share rich ideas with each other, like in a mastermind. And one of the reasons, the very reason we're talking on this call now is because I got my butt on an airplane back in 2008 and went to America and attended a conference and I made some of the most key connections. One of the guys that I was sitting on the plane with was making over $100,000 a month. And I talk about this in my book, Work Less, Make More. And he looked at me, he goes, you're a smart guy. Like, why are you underselling yourself in a job? And I was making like 300 grand a year. I'm seeing it's a good point. I mean, a bit of jonesing there, but it's also a bit of comparison. And so I went with this guy to a conference in Las Vegas and there was another guy there and I sat next to this other guy. I'm having a chat, super humble guy, you know, t-shirt, regular looking guy. And he's making $100,000 a day. And inside my mind, it's just like, what? That's outrageous. And I asked him a couple of questions and he shared with me a few resources that were going well for him. And I went back home and six weeks later, I quit my job because I doubled my income. 
for my online business. My online business was making about 150 grand a year. And six weeks later, I went past 300. And after I quit my job, I went past 100,000 a month from then on. That was in 2008. Isn't that fascinating? What an amazing story, by the way, James. I love that story. Well, quality of network and mentors, I'm going to vouch for that. You find the right people and you act upon the right information, it could be a game changer for you. So that changed my whole world. And I won myself into that group. I wasn't even financially qualified. It was for a group of people making a million dollars a year online. And I won my seat into that group through a competition where I had to do something. It wasn't just luck. It was effort and skill. And it was life-changing. But I mean, the whole fact that I was there, I put myself in that position by being in America when it was inconvenient, when I had a job to be away from my family and to spend the money on the credit card to go to the, on the plane and to buy a conference ticket and network. I didn't know a single person there. And by the second day, I was up on stage telling people how I won the competition. So it was like, you can create your own opportunities, but seek out people who are getting fantastic results and don't be jealous of them. Understand what it is they're doing and see if they're willing to share with you how they do that and move in that direction. And that will get you a better result than if you know six stoner mates who are sitting around smoking pot watching Netflix all day. Like <laughs> Completely. I'll throw in one more here that's interesting though, is like I think a lot of people, uh, let's say you're starting a new business and they develop this network and it gets them to a certain level. And like they're probably fantastic people you're hanging around. They're really nice and you like them. But one of the things that I've had to adopt, and I'm sure you have as well, James, is like maybe the network that got you to here and the mentors aren't the ones that get you to there. hundred percent. So maybe you have to let go of people that even though you like them and they're really good people and they mean well, by hanging around that, it's like you're not going to be able to get to the results you want in your life. I remember that happened to me. It was about 2009. I started my own community in 2009, partly because some of the other communities that I was a member of were, firstly, the founder was never present, which bothered me. Like you've sold me the membership you're telling me all the stories, but you know it to be seen. And I'm just like, it's member on member. But you keep pop in every now and then just to poop on us with your great, you know, this fantastic thing you've done in your life. <laughs> Where are you? So anyway, I started my own membership. I was a member of a few other communities, but they were mindset limited. You know, back to your first point, wiring and conditioning. And they're still out, the exact same people now. They're still scrounging around on these trashy sort of marketplaces where they sell biz op crap to each other. And they're, you know, they're the crew who get into all the NFTs and the crypto this and the bot that and just one movable feast after another of crappy business thing. But I can tell you they're all probably broke. And some of them, likely. they'll be minus broke because some of them get called before the FTC and they get overhauled because they're making outrageous claims. There's no substance going on. So if you hang out in those environments, so basically I left all of those environments, switched off. I'm like, I am not logging into these communities anymore. I'm lapsing my membership. It's dead to me, dead to me. If I keep being involved, like I've basically moved straight past that group. I realized what they were and left it. You have to sever ties with bad juju, you know? Like if something's going to drag you down, don't go there. By the way, if you hang around with people and you constantly feel jealous or irritated by their success, that's something you've got to work on yourself as well. There's, there's some inner work that has to be done there. I, I'm much with you as like, it should be inspiring. Mm. I love it when I find someone who's ahead of me because it's like, fantastic. Like there's going to be something I can learn from this person to get me to the next level. Like I think the uh, worst place to be in is like, you're at your limits. Like, there's nothing new to learn or grow from in your like network and mentors. 
I think growth and learning, that's a trigger word for me. Like to some extent, I'm a bit of a one-man wolf pack because I do a lot of inward reflection and have a lot of thinking time. And I get so much input from my coaching work. I'm just like surrounded by successful people. I don't need to go out and assemble that, but I think other people probably do. And from that, I still learn things. I join things. I take courses. I read books. I absorb information and I'm on a constant growth. I think the minute you stagnate, it starts to slide back. But I can tell you one, one thing that we haven't really talked about that I th- think is probably relevant here is there was a point where I realized when I was driving my desk in the, the job, I realized, well, hang on, I do not agree with this whole notion of working until I'm 65 with my big pot of superannuation or 401k in, in other countries. And then I'm going to just go home and just like hang out. I'll be 65 then. My life's gone. What a waste. So I think back to wiring and conditioning, I think a lot of people are products of an old era, the textile industry, where they were trained to sit at school and obey instructions. They're trained to go and get a job and work there for a long time, take instructions, don't think too much, follow the exact system. We don't want anything more or less from you. Like battery hens. Now, I think if you are an organic business owner, feel free to rewrite the rules on wealth creation as well. Find that leverage. There's ways that you can accelerate your wealth. You don't have to just put your account in a, a kiddie saver account when you're a kid and then just and think that banks are your best mates. They're not doing much for you. They'll be charging you soon <laughs> to have your money there if they're not already. One of my bank accounts does charge me if I keep too much in their account. That's interesting. It's not doing much for you in there, probably. Definitely not. Like, uh, don't get me wrong, your banks could be your best friend, like, especially in the games I play a lot more of these days, like I do enjoy property, like they can be a a big help, but I'm not confused. They're not on my team. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they offer better deals for strangers sometimes, you know. Definitely. So let's talk about the last part. So just a quick recap. We've talked about the fact that we're wired and conditioned, we're programmed from an early age. And essentially, we're probably playing games with competitive, um, ego-based significance games that could be potentially holding us back. We've talked about what to do if you get stuck as a business owner and you're still just putting out fires and you've got no spare money to invest. Like That's a critical thing that needs help. We've talked about your network and mentors and surrounding yourself with the right people. How do you get educated about money? Well, I mentioned I've I speak to people, I ask them what they're doing. I also have read books and so forth. And I've also sought out wealth coaches and access to programs that are not commonly available. As you discover, there's this whole secret world of things that you can invest in when you've actually got money to invest. But a lot of people never get to that phase. What sort of things do you like to do? Or where would you recommend people find out more? I know, for example, you've got a newsletter. Can we mention that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's mention it. It was um, just to tie into that point. The reason why I started Full Stack Business Owner, which is the podcast, and then also the newsletter we have to go with it, is because I felt like finding good information for wealth building as a business owner in Australia is like incredibly hard. No one was doing it. So what would happen is like, do you know what the Rosetta Stone is, James? Have you ever heard of the Rosetta Stone? Yes. For people that don't know, though, it's a, a tablet or a stone that was found that would help people translate languages. So they found a way to like, uh, I can't remember the exact languages that translate, but it's like some sort of codec to turn, let's say, English into Japanese in this example. So what I was finding is like I was spending hours and hours like spending time learning about wealth building in the States. 
only to find that like some of that wouldn't apply in Australia. So I'd have to like work out how it translated. Or then I'd be learning like, well, as a business owner, your needs are different versus someone who's employed. So like you don't have pay slips that are treated the same way when it comes to finance. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to understand differently if you want to do well at this. So I've been translating all of that and then I turned it into the newsletter and podcast. So if you're a business owner in Australia particularly, although I'm sure some US ones will enjoy it as well, that's all designed to help you on this journey to kind of shortcut all that education path that I had to go through. I had to go from there. So I think that's just such a hugely important point. But uh, the thing I'd really love to bring up on this one is what was really surprising to me when it comes to like wealth building is like, as a business owner, I've got all these skills and it's like, you know, making money and then keeping money, different skill sets, like very, very different skill sets. Totally. Yeah. And I think people get really stuck in the uh, making money part. Even within the making money part, they get stuck in the getting traffic part. <laughs> it's like there's this total bias to the exact wrong area. You know, it's like it's all about I just need more leads. I need leads, leads, leads. That's like some people never move past that. It's a shame. That's why I like the membership model or the agency model on retainers or even uh, revenue share deals. Like get recurring income, deliver a great product, you'll have money to invest. So we'll put a link to your newsletter. It's quite a long URL, but it's. Um, go.fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter hyphen sign up. So I think we'll put a link in episode 936. <laughs> I'm just laughing. I was like, should totally make a better link for that. But anyway. <laughs> I think, yeah, you definitely might go and buy a nice vanity URL to redirect to that. And we'll talk about that in future episodes. So this, this is like a real combination of things you love, isn't it, Charlie? You've got wealth creation interest personally. You like sharing what you find for other Australian business owners. I imagine some of the principles would apply no matter where someone is in the world listening to this. Huge. Yep. And of course, you've got this great new show, The Full Stack Business Owner, that's going well. I keep seeing social snippets on my feed. Uh, uh, clearly, you've got an audience there and a great that people are resonating with this topic in the Australian business community. And uh, you get to, I imagine, you publish and produce a show from your own media company. That makes a lot of sense. It's a very, very nice perk of having a media company, yes. Love it. So uh, any words of wisdom uh, to close out our episode on why most business owners suck at building wealth? I just really encourage people to get involved with the brand, like come and check out Full Stack Business Owner, the podcast and the newsletter. I think building wealth is such an important part of the journey as a business owner and can be particularly difficult if you've been wide in the ways we've spoken about here or not have the network or peers or can't get access to that information. And that's what we're looking to solve here. I love it. I look forward to sharing more about this in the future. And if you, if you listen to this episode 936 and you've got questions or a suggestion of a topic that you'd like Charlie and I to discuss, then uh, certainly all open to those ideas. And we'd love to make this show customized around you. So send us your ideas. James at jamesramco.com will find me. And uh, Charlie, thank you so much for coming and sharing and your continued journey into uh, newfound fields. And uh, I think it's great what you're doing to educate others. Clearly, you'll be improving lives with this topic. This is James Schramko. 